Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello to all of you good humans out there and welcome to guest episode number 64 of Good Humans Podcast. Thanks so much for joining today. It's really nice to have you here. Today's episode is a really, really cool one. If it's your first time, make sure you go and hit that subscribe button, hit follow, and please hit five stars on the ratings. It does mean the world to me. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcast. And if you're enjoying the episodes, tell some friends about it because I know the value in these episodes for my own life, and I know so many of you are getting value out of it. And the best thing you can do is share it with people. Let them know about it. Send a text to a friend. Send them the episode because, yeah, today's one's a really, really powerful one. I just want to say a big thanks to everyone as well who's been supporting the Good Human Factory merch. The last couple of days has been really cool. A lot of people using that code podcast over on thegoodhumanfactory.com, picking up gratitude merch. And yeah, it really does help me out a lot. And it shows, yeah, the support of this podcast and the community that's involved. Um, yeah, I love you all. Also, something I wanted to bring up, um, I did a workshop today while recording this intro um, on Are You OK Day? And I asked the teacher who, how she heard about um, me and the Good Human Factory. And she said, oh, actually, my daughter listens to your podcast. And we were looking for an Are You OK Day speaker for our school for 800 students today. And um, yeah, my daughter, who's 23, loves your podcast and said you should get Cooper Chapman in. So yeah, that's how I just got a really big speaking gig today from the podcast. So big thanks to... Um, yeah, the daughter, if you're listening today, of the teacher who booked me for my workshop. And yeah, likewise, if you're out there listening right now and you think one of my Good Human Factory mental health workshops would be good for your colleagues at work, for your high school, for your, um, for your children at their school, please reach out, head over to the website, thegoodhumanfactory.com. You can put in an inquiry form and learn all about these workshops there. Yeah, continuing to grow. The last couple of weeks has been crazy. I spoke to over 400 employees at a big Telstra conference. Um, yeah, lots of school workshops coming up and my calendar is filling up fast, but I really want to be speaking to as many people as possible. And this podcast is a great platform to yeah promote what I do. So check it out. On to today's episode, Danny LaPriori. This guy is Oh, I loved having this conversation. I had Danny, or Danny had me on his podcast a few weeks back um, called Off the Calf, and it's all around mental health. He's gone through a crazy roller coaster of a journey um, to get to where he is today. He does suffer bipolar and has a few mental health issues, which he does open up, up about in this episode. It's super vulnerable. There is some um, talk of suicide and suicide attempts. So please, if you are struggling right now, a bit of a trigger warning. Um, if it's not for you to listen today, that's okay. Or if you do have any thoughts um, that aren't great after this episode, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. 
But in this episode, he does go really into depth about his journey. He's had some crazy ups and downs. He was born in New York in the Bronx, grew up um, with an okay childhood, he said. But yeah, he reckons he peaked in high school and then struggled and then found fame through Vine, a social media app, and blew up and made heaps of money. But then once again, that app disappeared and he began to struggle again. Um, He then, from an unlikely person, a little kid, found his next stage in life and refired him back up to chase comedy and what he loves to do, which is entertain people and put a smile on people's faces. Um, he then talks about his mental illness journey, being diagnosed with bipolar, being very suicidal, checking himself into hospital. And yeah, it's a really informative little journey on the different ways that people think and react going through mental health issues. So please enjoy this episode, share it around. It's a really powerful one. I think it's my longest episode ever, so beware, it's going to be a long one. Um, Sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation. There's some incredible storytelling, some really open and honest sharing, and yeah, it was awesome to get a chat to someone from New York, so let's jump straight into it. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Danny LaPriori. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I don't know how much of it was the accent too, but (laughs) I think any word that comes out of your mouth, I'll take at this point. Uh, Man, well, welcome. Thanks so much for jumping on. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Danny, I jumped on Danny's podcast a few months back from when this will come out and yeah, got to speak all things mental health. It was really cool to share my story with your audience over in the United States, but I guess to introduce yourself, um, who are you and what do you do? So uh, I am a, a jack of all trades, a master of none, uh, <laughs> but I think in terms of what I do for a living, which is podcasting and, and comedy and stand-up comedy and music, um, so if I had to put all of them in the one basket, I guess I would say entertainer. Yeah. But uh, I I like to uh, the one narcissistic trait of mine is that I try to do as many things as possible and try to like to not only not to be the best, but be known like mm. by the best. You know, mm. like I want to be everyone's like favorite rappers, favorite rapper, or like <laughs> favorite singers, favorite singer. You know. I, like I, I want to be underground. I want to be underground, but mainstream. So it's a struggle. But um, yeah, so I'll just go with uh, I'm an entertainer uh, based in comedy. Um, I'm 33 years old. Um, and I think that for me, the best way for me to express myself is honestly what I do for a living. So I've been lucky enough to turn that into a career. Yeah, I love that. It's really nice when you can hear a story of someone finding their passion, finding what they love to do, and then making a career out of it. And it's it's a bit of a niche because I feel so many people get trapped in kind of the rat race of life. And for you guys, like the American dream and go to college and do oh, this. Yeah. But when you see people break free of that and find something that they can become successful in, but also be extremely happy is like such a rare little space. And it's cool. And I'm excited to get to hear your story on how you got there. So Let's rewind back to For the sure. start. Where were you born? What was your upbringing like? You have siblings? And yeah, let's talk about sort of up For to sure. school years, what life was like as a kid. So I was born January 30th, 1989 in the Bronx, New York, as you can see from my Yankee hat. Uh, that's where the Yankees play. Not not sure if you know that. If, uh, you know, try, try know, to give uh, I know that much. A, bit, a bit of the, right? <laughs> I give a bit of the American, uh, you know, for your audience, you know, yeah, you're yeah. an athlete, so you have to know a little bit. But um, yeah, so uh, I was born in the Bronx, January 30th, 1989. 
Um, my upbringing, uh, my mother is Puerto Rican. My father is Italian. So uh, that started a lot of stuff between uh, both families, you know, uh, in the times of the 70s in America, mixed race, race relationships were still seen as pretty much taboo, um, especially since my grandparents uh, were first generation immigrants, my grandfather. Um, so my my father was first generation American. So obviously my grandfather would probably like for him to meet a nice American Italian uh, girl. My father decided to marry a Puerto Rican woman who um, my mother had a child from a previous relationship. So that was a lot. Um, so when we, when me, my two brothers, Michael and Jared, um, and then my sister, Kathy came a little bit later, she's adopted. And then my sister, Kiana is my oldest sister from my mother's uh, previous relationship. So from the jump, we always kind of had um, like a us against the world kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. So it was, if people, if people aren't going to accept us, you know, some people with, even within our own family, not all, not all of my family, like um, we had, I have some cousins that I love to death and they always, they never dealt with any of that. They stayed clear of that stuff. But um, for me, uh, I just remember even being young and, and living in Yonkers, New York. Um, even it started very early, even between, I think my brothers and I, that we realized that we were different than other people in our family in terms of our upbringing. You know, mm -hmm. we were, we were, we were always the darkest cousins, you know, uh, we were always, uh, you know, looked at, I feel a certain way that we were a little bit different. So I think all of us kind of had a chip on our shoulder, even starting from, you know, fifth grade. Funny story is my mom used to never cut my hair. So I had hmm. very long hair. So from four to five years old, everybody thought I was a girl. No. So every, yeah. So every time I would go to school, they'd be like, Oh, like you're a girl, you're a girl. Um, and I got so mad at one point that I actually, pulled my penis out in the middle of a classroom to tell people, to show people that I wasn't a girl. Um, so I think, um, you know, upbringing wise, my parents were awesome. Uh, you know, like all parents, they have their issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents would have some times in their relationships that were, you know, uh, a little worse for wear. Um, my parents also had a lot of times in their relationship where I saw them be very loving. So I kind of have a mixture. Um, you know, when you grow up, you kind of don't really realize how much stuff can affect you from such a young age. Right. Yeah. Um, and even stuff that isn't even directly in your family um, can, can affect you friends, you know, things that happen. Uh, but my parents did a really good job at, uh, I, I always call it organized chaos. Mm. So um, they, I think they did a good job, you know, uh, writing the ship most of the time. But my parents did the best that they could. My father was a sports writer for many years. My mom worked in film. And then, you know, when she had kids, she bounced from job to job. Like my mom still works now. Like she like loves to work. I don't know why. But uh, she still works now. She does child care now. Uh, awesome. She did elderly care. Yeah. And then um, up until... I was eight, we had the pretty nuclear family, right? So it's like pretty much the same. And then my brother, who was 16 at the time, 
uh, gets his girlfriend pregnant. So I hear about it. Obviously, I'm excited because I don't know, like, the ramifications, like, having a child can have in serious business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a kid is pretty serious. Yeah, right? like, it's a lot of I'm going to be an uncle. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, that's cool. And then, so my, my brother has a baby at 16, 17 years old. Uh, I'm eight. Um, I just, uh, when I heard out, I was eight, just turned nine and, uh, I was uncle Danny. So, you know, to me, that's when a lot of stuff changed in our family in terms of, um, the hierarchy, right? Mm. So my brother has a kid. That's my dad's oldest son. I don't know how it is in Australia, but firstborn sons are kind of a big deal in America. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my brother Jared, once he had his baby, it kind of switched that we everybody has to go all in for this. Like this is our mission because mm. it, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that it is like that. It does take a village to raise a child. I really feel that way. So that's kind of what it was. We became like a village. That's um, cool. And then and then um, around that time, we're all dealing with this. We're all helping. I was babysitting at like. 10 years old i was changing diapers at 10 you know i had to do all this stuff like i didn't have a choice like i had to be like a real uncle like an adult uncle because my parent my you know my my parents you know we didn't have a lot of money uh growing up but my parents did just well enough that we didn't have to live in like the shittiest neighborhoods yeah you know like my parents tried to do the best they could my grandfather helped out with that he was in real estate um so we were able to do that and thankfully, we had a roof over our head. But my brother's 16. He had to drop out of high school. He had to get a job. We all had to help. So this is kind of where, like, uh, the separation kind of started between my parents and I. Because around third grade, 10, 11, uh, my parents decided to move to South Jersey, where we didn't know anyone. Uh-huh. So uh, we moved to uh, South New Jersey by the beach. Um, we moved there when I was in third grade, when I got there in third grade, you know, just to go back to how we were, we were mixed race, race, uh, miss mixed race, excuse me. Uh, we went down there and I had 12 people in my entire third grade class, (laughs) like the, in the entire school, there was 12 third graders. All school. Yeah. And all of them were white. So then at that point they would start you know you're you're dirty this you're dirty that they called us the n-word from time to time uh you know it it was a culture shock for me because at least from where i was there was a hispanic uh parts of the of the neighborhood there were hispanic parts of of that city um there were italian parts of that city and it's just a little more accepted in new york you go to this small town in new jersey and it's like Mm, you know different if you're yeah, if it's not a tan, like my tan was all year round. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know what I mean? I didn't have to go outside and get much of a tan to be uh, stick out a little bit. Um, so they gave us they gave us a hard time there. And we were there from my third grade year to my sixth grade year. And then we moved back. But the thing that was really tough during the time where we were living in New Jersey is I never really saw my dad. Uh-huh. Um my father had to go back and forth from New Jersey to New York because my grandmother and my grandfather were getting sick. They were getting old. 
So my mom had to raise like three crazy kids by herself pretty much for about three years. So that had a lot of, uh, I have, a, I, I always have, and I think this is something that this point in my life I've gotten better with, but feeling that I was important in other people's lives, um, uh, for me to kind of find a space where my parents put me first for once. Yeah. Uh, you know, because there was that, there was always something going on that I didn't get the attention for. Yeah. And I think that's why I do comedy today because I was just seeking attention my entire life. Um, <laughs> just trying, just trying to be like, look at me, look at me. Mm, trying and to be seen. Um, trying to be seen and also heard. just wanted to be, yeah, heard. And um, when you're young, I think it's easy to have your feelings looked over by adults because you're yeah. so young. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. You know, I think if you're like, hey, I'm sad, like, it's like, oh, what do you need? To do? Like, why are you sad? Like, you're, yeah. you're 10, you know? But, <laughs> yeah. um, that's when I started to kind of feel things um, in terms of like actual like recognition of my emotions, I would say yeah. around 10 or 11, you know, that's, that's as far back as I could remember kind yeah. of dealing with some depressive issues or just, dis- or depressive days. Um, and then my brother, Michael um, was diagnosed with Tourette's while we were living in New Jersey. Um and we have a joke in my family that Jared's my dad's favorite and Michael's my mom's favorite. Uh, so when Michael was diagnosed with Tourette's, because we started to notice that he would have these tics and he would make these noises or um, in certain social situations, he would do these, uh, these facial tics. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we, like I drove him to the doctor, but my mom was, you know, when my brothers had to go anywhere, I had to go too. Yeah. Like my mom couldn't really afford babysitters. That's just not how it was. Like we were kind of latch, like the last era of like latchkey kids. Yeah. Where he, like you would go home and watch Dragon Ball Z and wait like till your mom came home. Like that's <laughs> like what we would do. Um, and just be like, yeah, I guess like mom will come home at some time. Like I guess. Um, and even when my dad was there, he worked very far away and I saw him like an hour out of the day. It was very strange. Is it? Uh, isn't it crazy to think like how kids have it now with like a mobile phone? Like if they come home and mom's not home, like you get 50 phone calls to mom. Where are you? Where oh are yeah. You? Whereas back, like even when I was a kid, <laughs> like you'd come home from school and you wouldn't it like, you'd remember like a couple phone numbers maybe to like, but not like barely mobile phones. It. Like, yeah, we, we had a, we had a, like a direct, like a book. An address book. Just, I remember my mum's one just like flicking through. Yeah. You're, and you so remember like, by heart like a handful of your friends' phone numbers. Like you get the like 100 percent I could call I could call all of my childhood friends and we'll get we'll get into that era, but I can remember all of their house phone numbers by That's heart so cool. uh, to yeah. this day. Because back in the day it was Hey, what's up? Is Ben home? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna go to the park at four thirty, and then you go to park at four thirty and like hope they showed up. Yeah, couldn't reach them any other way until I was in high school. Mm. Uh, in terms of every everybody having a phone. Yeah, but yeah, so like <clears throat> spent a lot of time by myself in terms of either you know without parental supervision at the time so for me it was kind of i had to find ways to entertain myself goes back to like we didn't have mobile phones 
So it was a lot of video games, a lot of movies, a lot of comedy, uh, a lot of wrestling. I was a big wrestling fan when I was a oh, kid. I love. Uh, I watched so much WWE as a kid too. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a big Raw. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, big Stone Cold Steve Austin kid. Big Rock, um, Undertaker, all those guys. Me and my brother used to smash Sprite cans together and act like they were beers. <laughs> uh, we we did the we did the whole thing, you know. And I think a lot of that at the time, I think for a long time I resented my parents for that. For not mm. having like, um, you know, my parents never really had the time to like drive me to basketball or drive me to baseball. I always had to kind of find a ride. So yeah. like in the back of my mind, I was like, I always felt like a burden on other people because my parents were like busy, like trying to provide for us. Yeah. So, you know, I had to grow up pretty quick in terms of the things I was exposed to. And then also the things that I, um, you know just was put in a predicament where like yeah. there's other people that need attention right now. You're going to have to try and figure it out. You know, yeah. like we'll feed you, we'll bathe you. Um, you know, my parents, when I was young, my dad was not very like lovey dovey, like wasn't like a big, like, I love you, man. Like, yeah, you're, yeah. like, just like, this is not my dad's style. He's old school Italian in, yeah. in that sense of fatherhood. Cause his dad was like that. And that's the only way that he really knew how to be a dad was what he saw from his dad. Yeah. Um, and then my mom was kind of always busy either dealing with Michael in terms of how he was feeling that day and what he was going through. And then my sister, uh, Kathy, who was adopted um, by us, she was uh, she dealt with a lot of early childhood trauma as well mm. from her birth mother. So there was a lot there was a lot going on. So I think in my parents mind, they were like, all right, this one's like the most normal one yeah you know they were like this one kind of has like the least amount of problems so like we'll let him fend for himself a little bit in terms of like you know he's the one we have to worry the least about yeah when it comes to like actual stuff you could see yeah um on the surface level so we did that for a couple of years in new jersey and then we moved to a town called hastings on hudson new york where i spent um all of my high school days um and some of my middle school days. And that's where I was happy enough that I was able to call home because I felt like I didn't really have a, a, a flag planted anywhere because we were bouncing around. Uh, but that's when I moved there. And um, the only reason we, we were really allowed to live there was because my grandfather was in real estate and he had a building there and he gave it to my dad and was like, Hey, be the super of it, and your kids can go to school here, so they don't have to go to school in Yonkers. Yeah, which was, uh, you know, um, the public school system is not as good as the village of Hastings. Yeah, so that really worked out because, thankfully, as somebody at my age, as uh, ex uh, explorative, explorative, I think that's a word. Uh, yeah, as much as uh, you will call it a word. Uh, <laughs> I think it is as, my, is. as myself. It definitely is, right? Yeah. That's a word. That's a word. <laughs> um, as you'll see, we'll get into my education very soon. And, and it will all make sense. But uh, I think that was the biggest blessing in my, in my life because that's where I really started to develop real friends who didn't judge me for what I looked like or didn't, you know, uh, judge me in a sense of I was new, didn't judge me in a sense of they, they have a hard time 
understanding my backstory and 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 all the stuff the kids are embarrassed about when they're a kid, right? Yeah. So much shit we get embarrassed about. Um, and I moved there in seventh grade, but even then I was still going through some things. And by eighth grade is when I started to really act out. You know, that's yeah. when I started like smoking cigarettes and and what's and this when you're fourteen? I'm fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in eighth grade, you guys would call it grade eight or yeah. year eight. Year eight. Right? Yeah, year eight. Yeah, about 14. Year eight. Yeah, same thing. Yes. So 14, that's like when I started to get a little weird. You know, like. Um, As we all do, puberty, trying to like look at yeah. girls, like all that shit. Happens. Oh, yeah. So eighth grade, I'm starting to get a little bit. All right, Danny's starting to get a little sketch. Um, you know. But I have this nucleus now. Like my parents are back under the same roof. Uh, my brother's kid, my niece, yeah. is a little bit more grown up now. She goes to camp where we are, where we live, and you know we're starting to get this nuclear family back together, right? And that's all I was happy about. Is like I have a mom and a dad, yeah, and we all live in the same place, and it's not weird anymore, and I don't have to feel uncomfortable about it. But I still was not getting the attention that I was seeking for. So I found it in other places. Like in ninth grade, I found it with my friends. I also started to find it. I started drinking in ninth grade. Um, started drinking, started going to parties, um, smoking. You know, I, I started all that stuff early. You know, um, I, I had a girlfriend that was in 10th grade. When I was in ninth grade, we were sexually active. So like I was doing all this stuff at like 13, 14 years old. I wanted to be an adult so bad. Yeah. Like for some reason I had this thing in my mind where I was, I was a grown man and I could do grown men things and I could handle all of this stuff. But um, that's when things started. That's when the acting out started. Yeah. And not in a good way, you know, um, in ninth grade, I started to fail school like pretty, pretty poorly. Like, yeah. wouldn't attend school, wouldn't do it because I had a big fear that if I tried and failed, people would laugh at me, but not yeah. in the way I want them to laugh at me. So I'd rather be a class clown, get in trouble, not go to class because you can't fail if you don't try. But that was in my head, but it's actually. If you don't try, you do fail. Yeah. So, so in my head, it's like you know, people are are laughing at me probably because I'm never in fucking class, or they don't care because I'm never there. So uh-huh. I'm just I'm perpetuating this idea of this this loner mentality that I was developing, um, and I was in situations where I would either get suspended from school. I got kicked off every sports team I was on. I was I was a good athlete, and coaches would always be so upset at me because I would get kicked off the of teams. Uh, I would stay out late. My parents couldn't find me from time to time. You know, um, it was hard. It was hard on them because they had they had so much other shit that they were dealing yeah. with, and and for me to just be like, you know, going out of my way, I was always pointed at like, what's wrong with you? But I think a lot of that stuff was just cries for help for me at that point in my life. And then uh, 15, which is my sophomore year of high school, um, I'm starting to, you know, I'm growing a little bit. You know, I'm, get, I'm getting a little more muscular. I feel more like an adult. I'm, 
I'm playing varsity football in 10th grade. And like, you know, I'm starting to get that attention now uh, from other people. And uh, I'm starting to get seen. Newspapers are writing about me. I'm starting to get to like a little bit of a buzz. And like people are, I'm like, oh, cool. It's like kind of like in your situation when yeah. you started surfing and you start getting sponsors at 15, right? Yeah. You know, you get a little bit of a buzz, you know, yeah. and it like it, you it that, feeds your ego. I was about to say, you get that 15, 16 year old ego. It's a dangerous, oh, yeah. dangerous time of life. I know the exact feeling. It's a, danger, it's, it's a dangerous time of life. And I'm just, I'm, I'm being like uh, consumed by it. Mm. You, you know, the right people I'm around you, huh? To bring you back yeah. down the level. Yeah. So I was kind of, but even the right people that I had around me at the time, my friends, I wouldn't listen to them. Yeah. So I've always had problems with authority and it goes back to my relationship with my parents when I was a kid. So I was like, you guys do all this shit like wrong. You know, like this 15 year old me saying, I was like, you guys do all this shit wrong. Like, why would I even listen to you to? Yeah. You know, you get this complex where it's, it's, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Cause when you're 15, 16, you're not thinking about dying. You're not thinking about, becoming addicted you're not thinking about you know ruining your entire life getting somebody pregnant you're not you're not really thinking about that you're like this that doesn't happen to us especially in the small town that we were going through um so 16 i'm the man right 17 i'm still the man junior year right but i'm still not doing great in school i had to go to summer school a couple of times like make sure i could even go on to the next grade yeah um but i'm still playing sports looking good i'm feeling good i got a girlfriend i'm living life then it gets the senior year of high school now this is when reality starting to sink in on me because all of my friends have either gone to college already and all my friends are getting ready to go to college and they're all coming into school with their acceptance letters and their sat scores and and all of this stuff for the next step in life and it hit me in that moment that, oh, my God, I've, I've peaked. Mm. You know, like I, like I treated high school like college. Yeah. And I've peaked. And this is it. And now after the protect, because a lot of people don't understand that high school, you are protected in high school because everyone's there with you. All your friends are there and you're there for four years. So, yeah, so I peaked in high school. And I'm at this point where, for me, I'm starting to get more insecure and more afraid and more terrified of graduation day because I don't have anything to tell anybody. So now we're going to friends' houses and they're like, oh, like, what are you going to do for school? I didn't have the grades to get into any school. Mm. I didn't have enough credits to get into any school. Um, I had to go to summer school that year just to get my high school diploma. So even when graduation day came, they handed me uh, a diploma, like the the book that it comes in with no diploma in it. It was empty. So, you know, it's like, it's like even my graduation, it's like, I didn't even really graduate with my friends. So football's gone. I got recruited to play college football, but I didn't have the grades to get into any of those schools. I would have had to go to community college, which, uh, the aka junior college to even go there but i didn't want to play football anymore i didn't want to do anything i had no motivation uh to to really do anything again because i had this whole thing in my mind that i'd be afraid to fail 
what if I go to the school to play football and they don't even let me play and they don't, mm. you know, I, I stay there for four years and I fail out and then my parents owe all this money and, uh, you know, this is where my mind's going. And uh, that's when the first signs of the real, real, like heavy duty depression, like set in my life because all my friends are going to these big American colleges, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, uh, uh, University of Miami, uh, University of California, all mm. these like big, big schools, you know, and and all of my friends, as much as the partying that we did in high school, they always did their work. Yeah, they always studied. They always did their homework. I didn't. I just I said, I'm just going to party and that's it. That's all I'm going to do and make people laugh. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, I graduate from high school, uh, you know, graduate. Yeah. I had to go to summer school uh, in 2007. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take a gap year. I'm, I'm not going to do any school for a year, which was a horrible decision because I just fell even worse into what I was doing already. Just this cycle of non-motivated, yeah. you know, I'm known in the community as a good guy. You know, people are trying to help me. Because uh, they know, you know, I, it wasn't anything where I got arrested or this or, yeah. you know, but, you know, it wasn't, they were like, well, just what are you going to do with your life? Not you much direction. Much yeah. Yeah. Just not much direction. And my parents, their parents were so fucking strict with them that they didn't want to do that to their kids. Yeah. You know, my, my grand, my grandfather was, was hard on my dad and my, and my mother's father was extra hard on my mm -hmm. mom. You know, um, discipline such a fine line. Yeah, it's like you, there's like no perfect parent. I mean, there is some people who have a great upbringing and stuff, but it's yeah. like it must be so hard being a parent trying to like navigate not being the bad part of your parents and trying to do the better. But it's like sometimes you go too far. Like it sounds like your situation. Yeah, it's like it's almost like you try to like do stuff to spite your parents, and then it's mm. like you said, it, it just goes over the top, backfires a little bit. You know, at in the moment. In the moment, it's backfiring on them, you know, yeah. because it's like we want to give our kids the freedom to be the people that they want to be because our parents didn't really give that to us. But and you they, do need the guidance but, from your parents still. Yes. I, I, I felt that my parents were more like my friends and roommates yeah. at that at that point in my life yeah. instead of like my parents. That's how I felt in the moment. Um, so I'm doing a whole bunch of odd jobs. I'm taking a couple community college classes. but the one class that I, I started to take in college was, was improv acting. So I started to do that and I was like, Oh man, like this is fun. Now, if you acted in high school and were in drama in high school, Lame. I'm going to say the word it's that's gay. Yeah. That's, that, that's what people said. And yeah. that, again, that's where in my mind was, I was afraid again that mm. if I do this, sang and acted and do what people were going to think I was gay. Yeah. So now I'm now this is why I didn't do it in high school. I always found an excuse to not do anything. Um so fear at this point I said yeah. fear of judgment, fear of judgment, fear of criticism and fear of failing. Big things yeah. for me. And then I got into this acting class where nobody knew who I was. No, you know, nobody knew my background. Nobody knew who I was supposed to be or this illusion that I created around myself, this, you know, this fake mystique and aura. 
uh, of, of my ego pretty much. And then uh, I got in there and I was like, wow, like this is really a lot of fun. And that was the only class I passed in college wow. was, was act was acting. Um, I failed every other class cause I just didn't go. Uh, and even when I did go, I didn't stay and that was it. So after that, that was around 2010 from 2010 to 2013, I'm 21 to 24 and I'm drinking a lot, super, super in the Bud Light, super in the Budweiser's, hmm. you know, I'm legal. I can drink. My friends are coming back from college. They're out of college. So my friends that had a better, um, what's the word? Like my friends that were better off. Yeah. Um, financially and uh, educationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to move forward again in life. Yeah. So they were able to get jobs and they were able to get apartments in New York City and they were able to get girls like that were like not from our hometown. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they were able to like branch out in grow. life. And I yeah. felt, and I always, yeah, they, yeah, they were able to grow out too. Like, you know like Mm. hey man like we're all gonna go to this club and they had money and i didn't and they had they had uh you know things that they worked for that i should have been working for the entire time but i didn't so that's when i was starting to lose out on the luxuries of life like seeing my friends being embarrassed about not having money to go out uh being embarrassed about living with my parents still you know like I, I, i and i want anyone that listens to this that's a kid don't ever let anybody make you feel bad about living with your parents. Yeah, I live didn't do that until I was 25. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you live with your parents and you're listening to this right now, fucking stay there. All right? Because the world is very expensive and it's very scary. Give your parents a couple hundred dollars a month and stay there as long as you can until you're ready. Because mm. the world is very scary. No, um, like I said, I was there till 25 and I have zero regrets and zero embarrassment. No. Parents, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have parents that are happy enough to support you, Use that for as long as you can. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Stay with your stay there. Stay with your parents. Um, but you know, I see all my friends living these individual lives. Like, you know, it's almost like a movie's playing out in front of me, right? And I'm just like uh, I'm the camera, and I get to be in this world of like voyeurism, where I'm just watching everyone's life go this way, and mine's staying here, going down comes up maybe a little bit but then goes back down because i don't have any sense of direction yeah and uh you know um working every dead-end job that you can have i'm pizza delivery guy you know how long can you really do that for um i'm 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 working for a moving company uh i'm doing all these odd jobs just so i could make ends meet um in terms of you know who wants to ask their parents for money when they're 22 years old you know it's it's embarrassing again i live a lot of my life in fear of embarrassment um so i was doing all that and it was very difficult for me to feel like i had a sense of purpose any future purpose Mm. perfect words no sense of purpose i just felt like i'm just this organism that's just walking around on planet earth and at some point, I'll be whisked away, and that, that's it. it. It'll be over. Mm. Um, and then I'm sitting in my friend's apartment in New York City. So from the time I graduated to, the, to, to 2013, that's about six years, five, six years, 
I did nothing but work like dead end fucking jobs that sucked and was told by everybody that I ever worked with, yo, you're hilarious. Like you should do like comedy and shit. And yeah. I was just like, ah, it's like, whatever yeah. it's, it's, you know, I'm still finding excuses not to commit to things. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, it's like, no, that's not going to work and yeah. whatever. And finding reasons not to. So I'm sitting in my friend Jasper's apartment one night and he talks to me uh, a lot. He would talk to me. He was the one friend that would talk to me and want to make sure that I was like really okay. And what, what's your things for the future? Is there anything I can do to help you? Yeah. My friend Jasper was very instrumental in a lot of those things. Um, in in the beginning for sure and then um he goes yo have you heard of this vine this app called vine and i was like no i've never i've never heard of that at all he's like it's like a six second loop he's like your brother michael uses it and i was like oh he's never told me about it i never even heard about it and the cool thing about vine is that there were no celebrities on it yeah you know there it, it, it hadn't been like kardashianized yet yeah you know like it there was no ads on there there was no like it was simple, make six second videos and get out of there. Yeah. Um, so I started doing those, uh, but I saw my brother was doing it and my brother had a bigger following than me on there. My brother got his following up to like uh, a million plus followers. Wow. So I'm seeing like my brother's having success with it too. Cause my brother was kind of like me, like my brother really didn't do school. He's very introverted. Like, he was always into tech stuff, but like never enough to like learn like coding and how to build shit. He just mm. he loved video games and he loved to be like a loner kid. That's like kind of like how he was. He had a great group of friends, but they were all like that too. Like nerds, yeah. like techie nerds. So I see my brother like doing like getting success and like people in our hometown are like starting to get on the low priori like hype train a little bit, you know? Mm. So I'm doing these videos. I'm having a good time with them. Then I make my biggest one, which is called uh, a song called Let Me Suck Your Titties. <laughs> uh, so I do Let Me Suck Your Titties. Um, I'm living with a friend in an apartment that I couldn't afford. I was working two jobs just to be able to afford to take the bus to my job. Huh. So I had no, yeah. So there were times where I had to walk three miles to and from work. Uh, this was the life that I was living and I made a song called let me suck your titties in 20, uh, 2013 that, uh, took me from the realm of so much depression and, and sadness in terms of where I was at in my life and gave me an opportunity. <clears throat> now, like people in my hometown are like stopping to take pictures with me, like asking me like, Oh, like when are you going to make another vine? When are you and your brother going to do this? So, so, what, that, first, to get so that video just went super viral and your following went yeah, up. Cause it, it would have been different back then. The brand deals would have been so different, like influencing or whatever. Like, oh yeah. A lot of following doesn't necessarily mean making money and success back then, but for you, your, your vision of success was to be recognized. It sounds like. Was to be recognized. And yeah. then, but even back then though, ad companies were like, I look at it like this, right? Um, when Conor McGregor fought Nate Diaz the first yeah. time, everybody picked Conor to win, even Las Vegas. Las Vegas was not mm. like uh, they're not as educated in the MMA as they are in boxing. Yeah. So the odds were crazy. Like Conor was so fucking favored in that fight, and then Nate beats him, right? And yeah. then Misha Tate 
Misha Tate fights that night, Holly Holm, the girl who just knocked out Ronda Rousey, like who was the biggest yeah, thing in the world yeah. at that time. And she wins and Vegas loses hundreds of millions of dollars because they made these horrible odds, right? Mm. That's kind that's kind of how I look at it. You know, it when it came to advertising back then, because if you had like three hundred thousand followers, People advertising still, companies man. would throw you a fat ass check. Okay, sick. So I, so I was doing excuse me, I just got over COVID. <laughs> um they were, I was doing ads for Budweiser, uh, NFL. Um, oh, sick. To uh, make a six-second yeah, uh, vine that promoted their... Six-second vine that promoted their stuff. Um, Hershey's, like, mad shit. But, like, right. they don't know how much things are worth. So, I'm yeah, getting, like, $15,000. Yeah, it's like the Wild West. Yeah. OG influencer stuff. I like it. OG influencers. Yeah, I was like, give me fifteen grand for it. And then I would make friends with people that worked in the firms that were doing advertising and be like, yo, they would they would leak me the budget. Yeah. Like how much money, like, because yeah, in spend. any business you, yeah, if you, in any business that you do, you want to pay a person the least amount to do the best job. Yeah. That's just how it is. And yeah. it, that's not like, shysty it's not that's just good business, business like why would yeah. you pay for yeah. yeah it's business so that's how i had the upper hand when i was doing a lot of those gigs was what's the budget maybe like it's the ask, first question ask. to ask in negotiation anyway what's your budget oh yeah for sure and they say and they would tell me things like the budget's 15 ask for 12 and yeah. they'll give you they'll give you they'll give you 11 yeah so something that would have been a three thousand dollar deal right yeah, because you knew the right numbers to ask. Now. Good on you. Because I knew that. So you went from being able to afford your rent. How was that to deal with that initial growth? How's the ego for you once you hit that? Like, oh, I can barely pay rent. To hey, I got money now. Like, what's what was that like? For me, it was it was awesome. Yeah. You know, like listen, like should I have saved some of that money? I I have, but I did it. I was like twenty five. I said yeah, yeah. I've never had money in my life. Yeah, yeah. I've never had money in my life. And I was in a situation where like I could go out to dinner. See, my this is one of my ideas of comfort is being able I don't want to be the richest guy in the world. I don't want to be the richest guy in the room. I never have to be any of that. What I want to do is be able to go out to dinner with my family and not have to worry about the check. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel, uh yeah. be able be able to go on a little vacation and not have to worry about um, it's a credit card you know, going to decline. Yeah, you know, um, or or am I going to get a call from my bank saying that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, your your credit payment is you know I'm three months past due. Yeah, you know, so like that's what my idea of comfort was. Now, do I like flashy shit? Yeah, I do. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, you know, that's that's something that I've actually worked on in my life. But like, let me t- like for me. Like a Rolex watch was my dream, always. I would see guys with them on, and to me, that's just like what I just categorized as success. Symbol of success, yeah. This, you know, I was like, that's success. So it wasn't until I got my first Rolex where I felt like this is where I needed to be, right? Mm. So I'm doing all this stuff. I'm having a good time spending money. You know, uh, you know, I could even like lend money to my friends that were going through it. I could, I could help other people. I'm trying to do all this mm. stuff. 
and Vine shuts down. <laughs> what happened to Vine? Right? Why did it shut down? So the the thing was is if you see uh, like Instagram and Twitter, like they have advertising on their apps. Yeah. And you have to pay a lot of money for those spots, you know, and then, you know, they're getting, they're getting ROI and return on investment yeah, yeah. W- with that, with that stuff. So that's where they started making money. Vine generated no money. So when we did advertisements for like, say I did an advertisement for uh, Budweiser. Yeah. I just get the money. Budweiser gets the exposure. Vine gets nothing. Yeah. So they just, they couldn't keep they the, they the lights on. It. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they didn't monetize it. That's why like TikTok took Vine and just like showed it. Showed it. Vine Vine had the crawl so like TikTok could like walk and then run and then like run the fastest mile in the history of the world. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. TikTok. Like TikTok is fucking crushing it. Crushing so um that's what Vine wishes they did. Mm. Uh but now it shuts down. So now I spent all my money. Uh my job is essentially gone because I didn't make the the crossover from Vine. I didn't cross promote. Yes, I didn't cross promote. I didn't do YouTube. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, is that where it didn't, didn't now, Logan Paul come from Vine? Kinda. Yeah, Logan and Jake Paul. Logan yeah. and Jake Paul, right? They used to come comment in my Vine section and my That's brother's so Vine section. You yeah. know, like my brother met them when they were kids. You know what I mean? Um, you know uh that's where they all started you know like again but we were like even on there i had the success of being like your favorite viner's favorite viner you know i had like six hundred thousand followers on there like i was buzzing i'm people are seeing me i'm taking pictures with fans in the street i'm living this kind of like low level like d-list celebrity lifestyle Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like but i'm loving it you know like money's coming in i'm feeling good i'm getting a check um but then it goes away gone so now advertisements aren't going to come advertise on an instagram account with ten thousand followers you know they would but the money ain't going to be right so like now i'm like holy shit i gotta get a fucking real job again dude Mm. and now all the stuff of the embarrassment and the failure is like coming back to me now it's like i see all these viners again it goes back to like the kids in my high school that even though they partied they took care of their shit yeah i didn't take care of cross platforming myself yeah um and now i'm seeing like all these kids are like big on instagram so they're good and like i had to kind of re- i had to reset and start over again yeah so i fall into like a big deep depression right and i'm I'm doing all these other uh, dead-end jobs again i go back to the moving company i go back to making deliveries i'm, I'm working at after school programs and the only thing that really kept me going was I used to work at this uh, this this summer camp uh, called Elmwood Day Camp. Uh, every year I worked there, and I got to work with these kids, these kindergarten kids, and teach them how to swim. And and you know I would put like I was like like a like a less talented Robin Williams to these <laughs> kids. You know what I mean? So they'd be like, yeah, Danny's here. Fuck yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, this guy's cool as shit. So like we would have a lot of fun. And and that job was one of the main jobs that actually kept me from really just falling deep into a depression, right? Mm. Um, but then I ended up getting fired from that job because of my Vine content. 
Uh, you know, that's I lost the other only job I ever really loved because of this job that I used to love doing. So I'm faced with this thing. Like, do I keep doing entertainment or like, what the fuck do I do now? Mm. You know, like I could either just be like, All right, I'm going to go like back to college. But I'm like, dude, I can't go back to college, bro. Like, yeah, I suck at school. You know, <laughs> like I yeah. can't do that shit. So this is like six years so, ago, like 2015 ish. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah, like 2020. Yeah, like six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing this. So I get a job, another job working at working at a a group home, which uh, in America, if you hear group home, it's home for like really, really, really tough kids that are just, they have a tough life. Their parents are, are on drugs. Their parents abandoned them. They have nowhere to go. Uh, inner city kids, uh, majority of them were black kids, just living just a horrible life outside of these walls, right? So I'm working with these kids, and now I, I went from working with like overprivileged, like super rich white kids to underprivileged black kids. Mm. So the world is just completely different. And all the kids there, had their issues you know they they would fight all the time they would get in trouble you know but i was really good at it for some reason i was really good at working with these kids and helping them like make sure they get to class make sure they get to where they got to be because i could connect with them on the level of being like don't throw your life away type shit you know what i mean like take opportunities in life like look at this place as an opportunity for you to have the best life that you could possibly have because mm. I used to tell them all the time. I said, if you go back to Brooklyn and you go back to the block, like you might not come home. Mm. You know, we had, we used to have kids that run away and we'd never see them again. And then we find out months later that they, they're, they're in jail. They did this, they got arrested for that. You know, like there was a whole bunch of stuff, you know, and you, when you work with kids, you start, you start to love the kids, you yeah, know, like yeah. you want them to, you want them to have a great life. Yeah. So I'm doing that for for about two years, and I'm driving a van. So we had a shuttle van that we would bring the kids from either class to class, or like bring them down to the train and like make sure they don't escape. Hmm. You know, like a lot of kids would take off running. So I get a kid in the van, right? And he's like, "Yo," and I'm like, "What's up, man? I've never seen this kid before in my life. I've never seen him on campus." And he goes, "Yo, are you uh, are you is your first name Danny?" I was like, yeah. I was. I thought he just knew me from like one of the teachers told him like, yeah, go look yeah. for Danny in the shuttle. Like he'll come pick you up. And he's like, oh. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, no. Nah. He's like, aren't you like internet famous? So like, I have like this moment where I want to be like, no, nah, that's not me. Like I kind of let that life go, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he was like, nah. He's like, is that you? I was like, yeah. He was like, he's like, oh, he's like, you're the let me suck your titties guy, right? And I was just like, yeah, that's me. He's like, oh, shit, like going crazy in the van. He's like, yo, he's like, that's fucking crazy. Like, yo, take a picture of me. So, like, I take a picture (laughs) with him. And we get to a red light. And he's like, yo, let me ask you a question. And I was like, what's up? He goes, what the fuck are you doing here? Wow. So I was like, damn. Yeah, I was like, damn, dude, this 15, 16-year-old kid just, like, ruined my shit. Like, kids teach us some big lessons. Oh, for sure, man. Kids, kids are the most knowledgeable little sponges on earth because mm. they have no filter. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like children, like if they see you and you put on weight, they'll call you fat. Mm. She's like, you're fat now. Like those like kids got no filter. 
so this kid, I never, I never got his name. I, I give this kid like credit on all the shows that I do, but this kid was like, yo, like, what are you doing here, bro? He's like, you're like really funny and like really talented. Like, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And I was like, damn, dude. I was like, no, I'm just like trying to make ends meet. He's like, why don't you like just start making videos again and like doing stuff? And I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, like maybe you will. And I dropped him off at the train and he got out. And like, I had a moment like where I cried a little bit because I was like, yo, like this kid, right, is younger than me and believes in me more than I believe in myself. Mm. And I never met the kid. And like I said, I've always had a problem with authority, right? So I would always even look at my friends as authority figures, like trying to tell me how to get my life together. And then like my parents trying to tell me how to get my life together. But this is just some 16-year-old kid that didn't even have to give a shit about me. Yeah. So I had that moment and I and I and I remember looking like in the mirror of the of the truck of the van and being like, dude, like, yeah, like what are you doing here? So I went up. I drove the van back up and I put in my two weeks notice um, and I quit that job. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to fail at anything else again in my life, it's going to be failing at trying at, at comedy and entertainment. Um, goosebumps. That part is still, like, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't thank that kid enough. I don't know. I can't, I don't remember his fucking name, but I remember his face and I remember like the shame that it brought me to be like, yeah, like, dude, like this 16 year old kid convinced me to believe in myself, you know, like this. And this is one of the kids, like I said, had nothing in life. And like, I wasn't was basically even, talking to yeah, me. And wasn't even trying to convince you. He just asked you a question. Yeah. He wasn't mm. just like, yo, you should do. He, he was just kind of like, so like, what are you doing here? Yeah. It's like, it almost was like a, like a, like a guardian angel situation. It was like he, it was like he never... showed you to, to appreciate what you ha- like have. Like, it's like, he showed yes. you like, you do realize you're fucking really talented. And it's like, sometimes you need that reminder. For sure. Yeah. 100%. And I think my life is, I've been lucky enough to be around so many privileged people. Mm. Um, and I kind of had this attitude that they were like, it was given to them, you know, like, and I'm not going to listen to like someone that's privileged, like tell me like what to do. Yeah, and then I'm talking to this kid that, you know, is coming from this program where a lot of kids don't have shit. So, mm. I'm like, if this 16 year old kid can have one one have the balls to even say that to me, yeah. Two, have the sense of being like, like, see like a star potential in me or see a career in me is like that's that that was a beautiful thing to me. It just like was this perfect storm of like my entire life that like my avengers timeline was like coming together nice you know like that kid like basically like thanos snapped like all the bad shit that happened in my life like right there with that conversation um and i and i quit that job and i said i'm gonna go try and get a job in the city i want to work in the city i want to be in that you know that that morning rush i want to be in that on that train i want to do the whole thing i want to be able to tell my family like, Oh, like, yeah, I'm working in New York city. I'm doing this thing. So I get a job um, at Caroline's on Broadway, which is a comedy club. I get a job doing a social media manager. So I took my experience in social yeah, media. Smart. I have no, have, have no degree, but I say, listen, like I know how to grow an audience. So I did it with, uh, with Caroline's on Broadway. Their so, their social channels. So I'm working there for a couple of, for about two years, I think. Yeah, about about two years, 
and I'm meeting all these amazing comics, you know, everybody from like Chris Rock uh, down to guys that are big now, like Sam Marill, Mark Norman, like when they didn't have as big of a, of a following, uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish, Whoopi Goldberg, like I'm meeting people from everywhere. You know, Larry mm. David was there one night. Uh, Dave Chappelle came in one night. Uh, to, to, like I'm meeting all of these people. You know, Louis C.K. before he got in trouble. Uh, Bill Burr. Like, these are all the people like, Crazy, I'm yeah, like yeah. you know, like now, like this is where I belong. And now I'm getting to see them like go up on stage and like do their thing. And fucking just like crush rooms, you know, and and it's so fun to see that because now instead of like instead of being like, that'll never be me. I'm getting closer to like, that's going to be me one day. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be able to like, this is showing me it's like, it's real. Yeah. I love that part of your story because I. I've got a friend who's a bit stuck at the moment and like between jobs and he's been coming to me and I'm like, you, you these big opportunities that you want aren't going to arise unless you put yourself in the room. Opportunities aren't going to come to you if you're not in the room where the opportunities are. Like there's 50 doors that can open once you're in that oh, comedy yeah. club, but until you're in the comedy club, there's no door to open. So it's really cool yeah, that you no. say that and, and recognize that for opportunities to happen, you have to put yourself in the room. 100% and like talking to them about like how their careers exactly. got started and, 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 you know, they're, they're all of them were different. I started doing comedy at 14. I started doing comedy at 28. I started doing it. You know, it's, they're all from different backgrounds. Yeah. They're, they're, oh, my parents, yeah, hello. my parents are divorced. So I had both. Every so story like, is different. So good. And you're seeing different, different uh, styles. You know what I mean? Like aggressive in your face cursing and then you're seeing clean comedy and then you're mm. seeing like you're seeing all this stuff like you're getting a master class for free and you and you're getting paid yeah so you know am i making all the money in the world no i'm not but I, now the money that i'm making is helping me live my life for sure but it's also like in a sense of it's oh shit time. like I'm, yeah i'm i'm leveling you're going, up. To, you're going to college for comedy but you know what i mean like that's your well, yeah Mm. And we had a thing uh, called the New York Comedy Festival in New York where it's this crazy festival where you go to all the biggest comedy clubs and do social media there for because Caroline's ran the whole thing. Yeah. Caroline's on Broadway. So I'm going to like these Netflix tapings. Like I'm going to all this stuff. Like I'm going uh, – I'm backstage with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, – and uh, yeah, and – John, uh, John Stewart, John Mayer, like they're all like doing the stuff for uh, Comedy Week, uh, Comedy Festival. And like, I'm here, dude. Like, I'm meeting all these people. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is dope. And I'm starting to get more confident in myself. So now I'm posting stuff on Instagram. I'm creating my own buzz again. I'm starting to get big. And then my buddy, uh, Joe Sanagato, who is a very successful YouTuber, very successful uh, podcaster, um, was like, Yo, like I see like what you're doing. Like I really like your content. I think you're really funny. Is like, would you like want to like work for me? Like help me cut YouTube tapes, uh, uh, clips, and you know do all this stuff. So like, and I was like, oh hell yeah! Like I'm super down with that because he, I could see with Joe. Joe was uh, he was kind of like my school. Like he didn't go to college. Like he tried and he had a hard time like kind of finding his way in terms of what he wanted to do in his life. And he kind of like fell into YouTube. Like, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I never tell anybody, like, from the moment I was 12, I wanted to be a stand up comedian. It's just not how it was for me. It sounds like you've made you know? such a transformation in this part of your life as well, because 
it feels like just this is probably speaking out of line, but if you got that opportunity five years ago that someone said to you, hey, can you come and work for me and sort of take that step back and take that bit of an ego hit from someone who wants to be in front of the camera, who wants to, it sounds like the kid almost inspired you to, all right, I'm going to drop my ego and I'm going to go like grind and learn. I'm going to go work at the comedy store. I'm going to go work for my friend and like build my skills. It's like you learnt your university of life basically through experience. Yeah, for sure. Because a part of it was like, listen, like I don't have like the, like the prerequisites to like get into colleges and shit. So I'm just going to make my own, Mm. you know, I'm just going to learn. I'm just going to learn my own school of like, yeah, all right, you want to be successful at this? You don't need a college degree to be successful at this, like this mm. shit. Like you need a fucking work ethic though. And you need to put your ego to the wayside for a minute. It's like a college and, degree is teaching you how to make like 200 grand a year. Like if you're like killing it, it's like, yeah, I don't, this whole schooling system is so flawed, but anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, it is 100%. And it's like, you're like, you become like a financial slave at like 18 yeah. and you got, you're paying off jobs. You're yeah. paying off uh, college, college loans debt, jobs yeah. that pay you that pay that pay you seventy grand a year. You know, after taxes, it's like what forty two thousand dollars, fifty yeah. if you're lucky. So it's like, and it's you've crazy. already had that taste of what is possible by making ten, fifteen thousand yeah. dollars a video. So you're like, wait a second, this doesn't really make sense to go and try and make twenty dollars and twenty five dollars an hour and work my way up to forty dollars an hour. It's like, mm, yeah, and and be like not a, that linear. A, a, be a camp counselor like i would have loved doing camp counseling or whatever but like that's not that's not where other people saw me and that's yeah. not where i saw myself well, other people's like saw me like doing your thing like being who you are like this is a gift that you have so yeah. many people saw my gifts before i did yeah i never believed in myself until i i i spoke to that kid so i'm working at caroline's and i'm i'm work, i'm still like under right i'm not performing like I'm doing like an open mic here and there and stuff, but like, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Like, you know, people know who I am. Like people come in the club. I know a couple of the comedians. Uh, now I'm starting to get to know people and uh, I get another opportunity to work under somebody with a bigger following than me, all this stuff. And he offers me the job. I said, all right, when, when, when do you want to start? You know, I was just so gun ho. Like my yeah. ego just like wasn't there. Lovely. And then I get, yeah, so I'm doing this, and I go and work with Joe. And when Joe hired me, it was just to like cut clips, like be in some vlogs, and like that was it. And um, he used to do; he still does it. He does a show called The Basement Yard that is massively successful. Uh, I like to tell him, you know, know that I was a big part of that going Sick. to where it is now, you know, and being a part of that was like the best part of my life. It really was. Sick. And um, doing that. Um, so you co-hosted you know, that podcast with him yeah, for a while? Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't hire me to do that. Yeah, yeah, he just was like, screw it. He was just like, yo, he was like, you know, he's he, another, again, another person that saw the promise in me even before I saw it. Mm. He was like, yo, like, he's like, I know I hired you to cut clips and shit. Like, you could still do that. But he's like, but I need you to be on camera. Like, this is crazy. Like, you need to be on camera, bro. Like, you need to be doing this. And... Now I'm doing the show. I'm making money. Uh, he exposes me to his audience. And, you know, at first they were like, who's this guy? And now they all fell in love with me. And like, you know, and it became like this thing. I had to prove to them that like I belonged and did this whole thing. And I'm having the best time of my life. I'm living the best time of my life. And this is where I start 
partying again, drinking a lot, Coke. Now I have expendable cash. Mm. Cocaine's not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. Whoever's listening, cocaine is not cheap. If, if anyone out there has ever done uh, cocaine, you've never been to Australia then. Cocaine's <laughs> cheap in America. Cocaine in Australia is like $300 a grams. Wow. I do not know how so many people. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't be a broke cokehead. It's just, it's very hard. It's very hard yeah. to do. Uh, so I'm doing that, but you know, I'm, I'm like still getting my work done and stuff. Like I, I'm like a functioning drug yeah. addict, alcoholic, you know, like I, there's a lot of, I would do like all that. my, yeah, I would do all my work and just like, get, oh yes, I get to go home and drink like, yeah. And chill, you know, because I, I love the, the late hours of the night because everyone's asleep. The world's at ease. My mind doesn't have to worry about where I need to be right now. And I can create and, and have fun mm. or whatever. So I start partying and uh, this is where I start to have my first ever panic attacks. Uh, the first panic attack I ever, I ever had, I was playing NBA 2K with my friend and uh, we're, we're drinking and like, we're doing some cocaine and stuff. And like, my heart just starts going like, bah, 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 like crazy. I'm doing the deep breaths. And my fingers are getting tingly. I think I'm going to pass out and, I, and I'm telling him like, yo, I think, we just did like some laced shit. Mm. Like there was like something in here that's going to kill me, dude. Like I fucked up. Like this is it. It's a wrap. So I go to the hospital. Um, and they're like giving me all the vitals. They're like, you having a heart attack? And I'm like, so dramatic. I'm just like, yeah, like this is it. I'm dying. I'm like, I'm over. Like I'm, I'm dead. And they're like, did you do any drugs tonight? And I was like, no, I didn't do any drugs. And then like, they all leave and there's one nurse. And I'm like, come here. I did some cocaine. Like, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, she's like, what's up, Danny? I was like, I'm like, grab my chest. And she's like, all right, thank you for being honest with us. Now we can really figure out how to like treat you. So like, they flushed my system and like gave me liquid Ativan. So I, I, when I came in there, I was like, I'm gonna fucking die. And then like 15 minutes later, I was like, hey, do you guys need like any help or anything? Like I was perfectly fine. Like Crazy. so calm, like I was walking around the hospital. I was like, "Oh, it was like, can I pee in here?" Like you know, like <laughs> my idea. And I was just like, "Oh wow, like what the hell was that though?" So I just I chalked it up to like uh, like it's a mystery from God, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was just like, "Oh, just like whatever, bad bad batch or whatever." Just like made me feel weird. I leave the hospital. I go home. Start doing cocaine again. Twenty four hours later, back in the hospital. So. This part of my life, I'm starting to get like these horrible, horrible panic attacks, right? Because fucking just cocaine could do that to you. Drugs yeah. can rewire your brain. Drugs and alcohol, the way that your brain processes things, yeah, it could just rewire your entire shit. So that I think that's what happened with me. Um, in the moment, I'm like, this is what's happening with me. So I stopped drinking and I stopped doing cocaine cold turkey, which in a way sounds super inspirational, but it's the worst way to stop doing anything. Mm. especially stuff that alters your brain chemistry. Now I can't sleep. I'm sick. Um, my brain's looking for uh, all this stuff to release those good feelings. It's not there. Um, I'm having uh, I'm, uh, hallucinations. I'm starting to believe that people are coming after me. I didn't sleep for three days. Um, and I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to lose it. Mm. So, I'm going to the hospital every night, Cooper, to get my brain checked, to get my lungs checked, 
I'm like, there's something physically wrong with me. Like I, I almost wish that they were like, Danny, you got brain cancer because yeah. then I would be like, Hey, like, you know, uh, we could at least attack this with radiation. Like they'll cut my head open and yeah. take out whatever, like in my head, that's like He's where I'm at. Like, I'd rather have, yeah, man. I said, I'd rather just have a, a diagnosis and be like this. I have a legit problem with me. Yeah. But I, but it's just, it's anxiety, paranoia, and depression that I'm having from uh, detoxing from the drugs and alcohol. So I, I just was like, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't go downstairs. I couldn't eat. I was just having the worst time of my life. And um, this is where my parents and I became really, really good friends again. Um, all the attention that I looked for as a kid my parents saw how hard I was struggling with my life. This kid that they thought like kind of had it together mm. most of his life. You know what I mean? Like he'll figure it out. He's a survivor. He, he, he'll get it done. I, I've always believed in him is having this horrible time in my life. And my father, um, my father spent every day with me. He stayed in the uh, same room with me. He fed me. Uh, he, he slept in the same room as me. Um, he talked to me every day. He, he, they, he helped me get health insurance. He helped me do a whole bunch of stuff. My mom too, but my dad was like super hands-on. Like, mm. like my mom kind of was like, no, like it's all right. Supportive, like you'll get over it. Yeah. My dad, they were, they were very supportive. And my relationship with my parents, uh, I feel like really started in that moment. Nice. Um, where we kind of let go of this hostility that we had for each other because I could be a dick. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not, you know, like I feel like people realize like um, sometimes like we, we do blame a lot of other things on people, but therapy kind of made me come to terms that like I could be a dick sometimes. Mm. Um, so, you know, we kind of just let go of the way that we felt about each other. And we just like started anew from like that moment um, because I got to see, my parents be like, we're going to put everything to the wayside and help this kid get his life back together. And this is like three so years I, ago, 2019, 2018. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. And, um, you know, I have, uh, you know, I'm having these horrible experiences, you know what I mean? And my parents are doing the best that they can. They're trying to get me into a therapist. And the thing with healthcare is it's like, it's not like you can go see a therapist tomorrow. It's very difficult to like find someone to take your insurance in America. To find someone, get you, take your insurance and see you short notice, you know, it's very difficult. So in between that time, I'm saying like, you know, I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live any kind of life that's of any kind of even medium quality. Like my life is just so poor right now. And I'm having a hard time because I'm like, I have the dream job, right? Yeah. I'm making the most money I ever made what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, and it came to a point where I said, you know, today when everybody leaves this apartment, I'm going to put my dog in my crate. I lived on the 11th floor of this building, uh, with a private terrace. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put my dog in the crate, wait for everyone that was here to be gone. I'm going to jump off of this fucking terrace and I'm just going to fucking kill myself. Cause I, I can't feel it. I, I, I can't, if I if you're gonna tell me that this is gonna be every day of my life for the rest of my life, I'm gonna mm. fucking I don't, I can't do it. I'm just not strong enough to do it. Yeah. Um. And the thing that stopped me was I started to think about 
how many generations of lives that I would just ruin. You know, I, I would, I, my life would be gone. I wouldn't have to feel anything anymore. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be out of here. Right. But the, the failure that, that I, that my parents would think that they were, yeah. um, the, the trauma that my brothers and sisters would never recover from, mm. um, the, the, the friends lives who I could potentially just ruin because of that. Um, because of this moment, making this split sick, uh, the split second, uh, decision. Yeah. So while I'm standing up there. I'm like, all right, let's try something else. Let's figure something out. So I went to Lenox Hill hospital. I always say to them, they, they saved my life. Lenox Hill hospital, New York city. I went and I said, I need, I need a room. I want to kill myself. I, wow. I I want to kill myself, but I don't want to kill myself, but I don't know what else to do. I'm so fucking scared. I don't know what to do. So they're like, we don't have any beds right now. And I'm like, oh my God, like this person's going to send me back out on the street. I said, if I have to go back onto the street, I'm going to jump from a fucking bus. Like I, this yeah. is it. This was my last shot. at like trying to save my own life. Right. Um, And the guy says, you know what? Just sit here and wait. We might have somebody checking out. Let's see. I was there for two hours, uh, sit, sitting in this room with by myself. Because once you tell someone in a hospital you're suicidal, they're not going to leave you with like general population. Like they have to put you somewhere like where you can chill. And they yeah. keep an eye on you. Um, they're like, "Listen, Danny, we got a room. We're going to take you upstairs. Are you sure this is what you want to do?" This is what people don't realize: you can't fucking leave. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like people are like, "Oh, this isn't rehab," where it's like. You go and you leave whenever you want. This shit's like state mandated. Like you leave when we tell you you can leave. Yeah, yeah. Like this shit is crazy. So they bring me upstairs and they're like, "All right, we're gonna check you in." I called. I said I need to make two phone calls before. So I called my mom, so she could tell my dad and the rest of my family where I'm gonna be at, just so you know where I'm at. And uh, and then I called uh, Joe and I said, "Joe, I said, listen." I'm not going to be able to come in the work. I'm going inpatient. And um, he was so supportive. He was like, all right, man. He's like, yo, just, I hope you get better. Cause we've been talking through this. Yeah. You know, I'm still, I'm still working through this, doing this and just putting this fake facade mm. on, but you could tell that like, I'm fucked up. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm all fucked up. And then um, I call made those calls. I go in, they take, they take your shoelaces. They take your, your, the drawstring and your waistband. They take all this shit. Now it's like my phone's gone. My wallet's gone. Outside world is gone. Wow. Like, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, kind of when I go in there, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is about to get real. Like, I can't fucking leave. Mm. So I go in. They, uh, you know, they they baseline you out. They take your vitals. You know, they get you someone to talk to. Now, now I go from sleeping in my room on the 11th floor, like, penthouse studio apartment. Uh, with a private terrace that I was going to jump off of, right? And my dog and my life and video games and flat yeah. screen TVs and all this shit. Just, uh, now I'm sleeping next to his paranoid schizophrenic every night. Yeah, wow. You know what I, you know what I mean? It, with no TV and a little-ass twin bed, right? Yeah, yeah. But Cooper, Cooper, when I tell you, though, the night first night I was there, it was the best sleep I ever got in my life. Wow. It was the best sleep I had in months. 
Just because I know and yeah, you go. I just felt that I screamed that shit to the world that like mm. I don't want to be alive in this moment anymore. And someone listened to the point where I had to go to that last like that last ditch effort to save my own life. And I felt in that moment that I did, but I still had a lot of work to do. But I was yeah. at that moment where I was just like, oh, I can fucking sleep. Yeah. I, I, I slept for like 18 hours. You shared your problems with like, you just yeah. Like, it just sounds we're, like you just became so vulnerable and just went, oh, help. That was it. And I just, I just let it go. And, um, and you know, when I was in there, this dude was screaming all night. Like, oh, you stole my clothes. Like, I didn't give a shit. Like, I was like, yo, I'm sleeping. Like, I was, mm. I snored right through all that shit. And I wake up the next day and we start doing these one-on-ones with uh, some therapists and we start doing these, uh, these um, group meetings. And I've never been to a group meeting ever in my life. And when I tell you being in group meetings, if you're struggling with anything, I really, really suggest either it's AA, NA, um, even groups for anxiety and depression, hearing people like you or people from all the different kinds of walks of life have similar symptoms to you are very eye-opening. And, it, and it's a very beautiful experience because people are vulnerable in there and we're all there to get better. Like mm. We're all in here to get better. That We all know that. Yeah. But I'm talking to dudes that, that were in Vietnam that are in there, drug addicts, you know, I'm talking to dudes, uh, that were, um, you know, uh, one guy that was in there, he was abandoned by his family for like 35 years. And then when he came back in, uh, they didn't accept him because he was gay and like, you know, and then he, he became a drug addict. Like they were like, there were crazy things yeah. going on in there, right? Like there was just wild stories going on two girls uh, addicted to methadone in there. Like, you know, so like there was all walks of life. And now I'm starting to think, I'm like, God damn, I should ain't that bad. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah. like man, dude, like these stories are fucking crazy, bro. Mm, you everybody's know, like, rock God, bottom you know, looks different, doesn't it? Everybody's rock bottom looks different. It, it all does. And it, and it was to a point where I said, you know what? I've always been resilient in my life. This is the time where I I got to do it again. I've done it before. I've been through hard times in my life. This is the hardest time of my life, but I'm going to get through this again. But every day you hope you get out of that motherfucker because you don't want to be there. Like as as amazing as I made it sound, you don't want to be there. Yeah. yeah, You know, it's a sticky, it's a sticky sock vacation. You know, those hospital socks that they give you. Mm. (laughs) So you don't slip this little (laughs) sticky sock vacation. So you're there. I'm like, I think I'm ready to go home. They're like, yeah, no, you're not ready. So I was there for, uh, four four uh five days and yeah five nights and four days whatever it is whatever the yeah, saying is yeah uh, so and i'm there and these people at lennox hill they set me up with a network for uh you know to start therapy a lot of people don't understand it's like there's a lot of homework even when you go to therapy all the time therapy is like 10 percent of the work the mm. other 90% is like learning how to use your coping mechanisms and living in the real world. Like well, if I could, 
what were you going to say? I was just going to say that's like something that's so important that a lot of people tend to forget. And it's something I speak about quite a lot on this podcast and in my workshops, it's the first thing I speak about and it's taking responsibility. Like you said, 10% is going to see the psychologist, but if they give you a bunch of skills to go home and do and you don't do it, nothing's going to change. So it comes back to you have to take responsibility. Yes. And uh, for the first time in my life, I kind of took responsibility. Good on you. Um, for, for what I was going through. And, um, you know, I, I was in, uh, in such a bad place, but I had this moment of clarity that no matter how bad it got, I was going to get better Yeah, and I was going to get through this. And I accepted that the old me was not a goal anymore. Mm -hmm. The old me, that person's gone. It's dead and gone. See, it's, it's out of there. How do I? recreate myself again you know and instead of being like oh shit i gotta recreate myself again i was excited because i was supposed to be i was supposed to be dead five days ago you know and like now in my mind like my mind wants to live so bad you know like at this point so i i got this new lease on life you know and um you know i came home and was able to get a diagnosis um and then that's when i was diagnosed uh bipolar uh type two um, and a lot of things started to make sense. Uh, Do you want to explain bipolar? I understand it. Obviously I've done quite a bit of work in mental health, but just for most yeah. people explain bipolar sure. is, um, I so, type two, how your diagnosis comes about. Yes. So, um, bipolar type one usually deals with manic episodes that are like God complex. Split personalities. You know, uh, almost to the point where it's just like you have manic, like manic episodes that are like, you're like, hey, what's up? Like, what's going on? Like, yeah. this is the best thing. Like, you want to listen to this song? Like, this is like the greatest. Like, I'm a god. Like, I'm a yeah. real like living being. Like, I'm the best. But like, that's like what a, a manic episode will be yeah, like. Yeah. Um, and then you know, for type two, uh, bipolar is usually your lows are manic lows. Uh so mine are i don't have like the manic episodes as much of where i get super high i do have them from time to time but my thing is that i get lows that are like down in the dumps like oscar the grouch lows where like i don't do like i won't move for like two or three days so that's that's how you do the difference between type one and type two now there are people that kind of straddle the line sometimes but you know when you're working with something like mental health Sorry, it's my dog telling me barking. Let him out. But um, but uh, when you're dealing with stuff like that, it becomes a situation where, you know, you have no sense of, you know, of your history in terms of like your identity, right? Like, oh, was I always bipolar? Like, was I always like this? Like, is this something that I have to deal with forever? Like, you're starting to get this sense. But for me, it was like, like I said, going back how i was talking about like i wish it was just like brain cancer so i could know like how to treat it. Yeah, yeah so when i got my diagnosis i was like okay like now we can build a plan we could we, i could build a team you know mm. I, I could build you know things to get better like now yeah i could have a goal and you know um like me myself like medication works great for me but i recommend that everybody has their own journey when it comes to things Mm. Um, you know, some, some people see, they want to do it holistically. I think that's awesome. Uh, I think people, there are certain people that take medication 
amazing if it helps you uh yeah. people that you know do you exercise like there's other there's ways to like work for everything yeah right? so um for me though um i really started to see a change when you know i found the right medications for me and i don't have lows as much as i used to nice. you know and between the therapy and the homework and uh you know making sure i'm on the right uh medications exercising um eating right like you have to understand i think a lot of people don't get when it comes to uh mental health and mental illness it's 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 a lifelong journey yeah it's just your overall you well-being you, it's just we hear, overall and we hear so many complaints of people like struggling with this or that but then you say, do you eat well? Do you sleep well? Do you exercise? And it's no, no, no. And it's like, it's very hard to, well, you can definitely empathize, but it's like, it's very hard to see changes, but it is hard because people have mental illnesses where they can't get out of bed. So it's like trying to find that motivation and that taking responsibility. Sure. Listen, I had, a, I had a, like a depressive episode like two weeks ago. I didn't get out of bed for two days, but yeah. back in the day, that would be two weeks. Yeah. You know, so like these are these are little wins. I'm I'm mm. all about little just when it comes to mental health, little wins. Yeah. Even physical health. I'm talking about all of it, all encompassing. Yeah. It's like yeah, one percent is if you went for yeah, if 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 you went for a 10 minute walk today, go for eleven minutes or go for ten minutes and ten seconds. Like that's a little win. Yeah. You did a little yeah. more than yesterday. Mm. All builds build your confidence a lot of people and especially most of my stories that i lacked a lot of personal confidence yeah i had confidence in other people to be great you know i had confidence in other people to to uh you know shine and and live their lives offered them great advice but i never really took my own and or practiced yeah. you know personal care and all these things mm. so once you start to make these little these little wins if makes you feel so good about yourself yeah you know and and that's the big thing is self-image can make or break people lives mm. you know if, if if you have a poor image of yourself how can you expect so many people to have a positive image of yourself yeah you know what i mean it's it's we are i'm a big energy person like even when we did our show it was like he's got great he's this kid's got good energy i like his <laughs> message i like the way he talks I mean, it's mainly because of the accent, but, like, you know, but uh, I was like, you know, I like the way that he goes about being upfront about being like, oh, yeah, like, I don't have like bipolar or none of that shit. Like, I just I just want to help people. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mental health, I love the way mental health is being like pushed to the forefront right now. But just like anything else, it could be oversaturated. Yeah. You know, so it's like if people are really down with the with the cause and, you know, uh, down with the mission, that's that's all that matters. And I mm. think in time, you'll see people that get weeded out from that. Or oh, whatever, there's a lot of like, snakes in the grass. Definitely. You actually the podcast 100%. just launched a podcast today while we're recording this with a guy called Hugh Van Kylenberg, who's um has this thing in Australia called the Resilience Project. He's spoken to over a million people. He's massive legend. But um yeah, he's, I fully forgot where, where this story was going, but he's like someone that you should go and listen to that when you have a moment over the next couple of days. For sure. I think you'll relate a lot to his story. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the more, you see how like Joe Rogan and like all those guys have like their connection of podcasts and shit. Yeah. Like 
I'm happy that that's like starting to happen with like mental health. Yeah, that's uh, cool, huh? Podcasters and stuff. Yeah. I think because as as much as like this is like for your audience, right? Like this is a therapy session for me. Like I'm, yeah, I'm taking this. This is, this is a little W for me. Bro, you this know? has been like such. This is going to be my longest episode ever. But like I've barely said a word. It's been your way to articulate your story. Your way to understand the way you felt back and reflect on it is really special man you should be really proud yeah. and it's the way that you've told your story like from start to finish chronologically through your ups and downs like you an unbelievable storyteller but i will get close to wrapping up soon but like so what's going on now so you've yeah yeah come out the other side you do you so, got your mental health podcast cut- yeah um yeah we've gone so far through the story no, no, no. we're up to this last two years that's yeah. the last two years gone yeah, so um so I go through all this stuff. I build this amazing, amazing team around me that, you know, people change from time to time. They come in and come out. Uh the pandemic hits, right? It's a big, big deal. Big yeah. deal all over the world. You know, um, and I think a time that time for me was actually a really good time because I was able to kind of rebuild myself and rebuild my image yeah. in terms of what I want to do uh, with the bandwidth that I have now. Yeah. And that's when I started uh, off the cuff, which is my mental health podcast. Um, and, you know, my thing was all these people that helped me get to where I was at today. I want to do something to help people that, that struggle with what I do or something completely opposite from what I do or people mm-hmm. that don't even struggle at all that are just trying to learn about what people are going through. Yeah. Um, I want, I wanted to do that. So thankfully I was able to launch the, uh, my mental health podcast over the pandemic. Uh, I was able to launch uh, a podcast with my brother, Michael, who was a fellow Vine star of mine. Um, and we do a show comes out every Tuesday. We talk about everything on there from pop culture to, you know, we make songs every week. We yeah, make an original song that. every week. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, we, we, we have a lot of fun. Like my life is just, so fun i i my fiance and i are getting ready to get married in 2023 uh you know she she's my best friend she she helps me so much i told her in the beginning too when we started dating i was like listen i'm a lot <laughs> you know i'm just letting you know now like i don't want to like get into this and you're like this guy's a little off his off his rocker a little bit but i was like i'm just letting you know like i'm mm-hmm. letting you know she's like i, I could deal with it and uh, she's really helped me in terms of like transitioning from working with somebody to like running my own ship and like doing yeah. my own thing. And uh, she's been really supportive of that, whether it comes to like helping me design merch or like helping me uh, with ideas or styling me or trying to style me for my, uh, my standup mm. show. So like another thing of this year, uh, one of my new year, one of my new year's resolutions was I wanted to face a big fear of mine. And that was to do standup comedy. Um and that I will be doing uh, August 11th at oh, Caroline's on Broadway. Soon. Between, yeah, between the know. recording and launching this, it'll come out. So maybe I'll get you to send me a little snippet and we'll use it in some promo content. 100%. And then, You're um, crush it. I hope so. I hope so. You know, and I even if you don't, I who cares? No, yeah. my thing is I believe I believe in myself and I know – what what i can do and that's that's all i can bring is is be prepared and have fun and it's going to be like a big ass sleepover you know what i mean like everyone's just going to come and hang out like you know it's going to be a party so so but i told myself i wanted to do that 
And this was a very humbling thing for me too, is like the tickets sold out in like two days. So well done, man. this is, you know, so this is something like, and if you remember the story, Caroline's on Broadway was the comedy club that I used to work at as a social media manager. And now I'm headlining an entire night wow. and selling, selling the place out. So instead of coming from when I used to watch and help walk comedians out onto stage, mm. now I get to walk out on the stage and I get to do my thing in front of a packed house. Oh, I'm so and, excited to and, see some footage from and, it. And have fun. 100%. And I'll, I'll send you, I'm going to record it. Uh, yeah send it to me i'd love to watch it it and but it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun and you know i'm just looking forward to getting married and uh you know just living my life and trying to just and when i say living my life i mean like just getting through being able to get through the normalcy of life is is something that people don't get enough respect for yeah absolutely you know it's like yeah, life's tough, man. To get out of to get out of bed every day and try to find something to do and, and be motivated every day. And mm. thankfully, I have awesome people around me. And you know, uh, the thing uh, I love about my fiance is that she calls me out on my bullshit. She she makes sure that I stay on the straight and narrow. She keeps me uh, make sure that I exercise. She makes sure that I eat well. Nice. You know, she she she's she's tough on me, but with love. So that's something that's. That I'm very grateful for, and then you know, after this this stand up special that I'm doing, um, I'll just I'm gonna take a little time off just to like kind of uh, get ready to we're moving from this apartment and plan my wedding and do all that stuff. But now it's like sky's the limit. Once I get through this, this is something that's been inside of me for 20 years, you know, mm. and it's kind of like coming to fruition and like the kids that I grew up with are coming to the show. And like, it's yeah. just like, it's this amazing moment. I'm sorry. And, I'm so and sorry. I, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm so thankful for it. And I just want the listeners to know, like you could do this shit too. Mm. You really can. I think after really listening can. to your story, everyone can really see that, like the roller coaster that you've been through and you've been so vulnerable and willing to share. And it's, it's crazy to hear the turnaround from standing on the, edge of your apartment wanting to take your life to asking for help to now having this new kind of zest of life in you it's really cool to yeah. see i guess and, i guess and like I, yeah I, go no no no. what were you saying no no you go i was just saying like you know you go from standing on a on a on a terrace to now i'm going to be standing on a stage it's like it's it's very it's it's, it's a beautiful moment for me and like honestly like if i have a heart attack and die out there like that's the way i want to go <laughs> oh, you know what i mean like if, if that if that was how if this is how i'm supposed to go that, that way i'm cool with the other yeah. way would have been rough yeah you absolutely. know at least at least go out do it at least go out doing what you love and i and i want people to know though too it's like you're gonna have shitty ass days yeah you know and Expect even when it. you feel like your life yeah even when you feel like your life's at its peak dark shit can come for you and, that, and that's just how it works but put yourself in the best position um to handle those situations with your coping mechanisms the homework that we talked about mm. earlier how important it is yeah, you know because, mental health maintenance plan building skills in yeah. your daily habits 
Yeah, man. It's like, and I don't want people to think it's like all su- sunshine and rainbow. Some days I wake up and I'm like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. You know, like I want people to know that too. Like there's many days where I wake up and I'm just like, I'm good on life today. Like, I don't want to yeah. do anything. I'm not going to answer any phone calls. Like I'm going to, like, you're going to have days like that. But as long yeah. as like I said before, those little W's work towards getting better. You can have that big moment that you've always wanted in your life, whether it's, it doesn't have to be as big a stand up, whether it's, you want to go back to school, mm. whether it's, you want to be more, more present in social situations. Like you could do all of this stuff. I'm telling but you, you have if, to stop if I could do it in the right direction, huh? Just got to start with a small one. And even yeah. if you take a step back a, a day after say, I'm just going to, I'm going to do better than I did two days ago. Don't let yeah. one bad day run into 10 bad days. Mm. That's all it is. Absolutely. Just minimize the damage. It's got to minimize yeah. the damage. I love that, man. This has been a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate it. This is like by far my longest episode and I've loved every minute of it. Um, two last little questions. Where can people find you? Yeah. I will leave it all in the show notes, but what's the best way to check out your stuff? Yeah, it's uh, at Danny Lil Priori on Instagram and Twitter. Um, check out Off The Cuff, uh, C-U-F-F, Off The Cuff on YouTube. Um, and then uh, Off The Cuff on Instagram. If you have any mental health questions, feel free to DM uh, me. I try to get uh, my producer to look at all of them. Uh, I have mental health meetings every Sunday uh, at 8 p.m. on Zoom that you could sign up for. Um, and then other than that, I'm just out here just living life, bro. I'm just trying to ride this wave with my man Coop out here. Uh, good on you, man. Well, like I said, this has been such a sick chat. I'll leave everything in the show notes. But the last question I finish every Good Humans episode with is, what does being a good human mean to Danny Priori? Being a good human is, uh, to me, is realizing that there's other humans. Mm. Uh, and knowing that... Um, for me, when it comes to being a good human, it's being the best version of yourself is the best version to give to other humans. Yeah. Um, so you almost selfishly have to take time for yourself to be able to put yourself out in the world with the rest of, you know, uh, the human race. Um, I think even people that feel that they're low and they feel like they're not the best human right now, there's parts of you inside that are uh, a great human being. We're all yeah. great human beings. We all have we all have great um, we all have great attributes. Sometimes it takes a little kick in the ass for us to finally believe them, uh, and it also it becomes something that um, that you don't know it can manifest into anything. Mm-hmm. Like you really can achieve things that you want to achieve if you really start with self belief and um, be a good human to other people because. The people you see on the way up are some of the people you're going to see on the way down. So mm. love yourself so you can love others the love way that. that you want to be loved. And that's, that's, that's as much as you can do and control yeah. and control what you can control. Yeah. Don't worry about, don't get too worried about control. the other stuff. Yeah. That's such great advice. You can't, you can't just control what you can control and realize there's going to be some things that you can't control. And that's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Love every part of that answer man thank you so much for jumping on this has been such a great chat like i said everything will be in the show notes if people want to find you if you are listening right now and you enjoyed the episode screenshot it tag myself and danny on instagram it would be great to get this story out to so many because i've learned so much you've got an absolute phenomenal storytelling um ability and yeah thank you so much for sharing it with us cooper chapman one of the coolest (laughs) names one of the coolest bros i know 
<laughs> You're the man, stay, bro. Stay, stay safe out there, my man, all right? She's legend. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.